Hello, everyone. My name is Andrew, and my name is Anna. And you're listening to the Culips English podcast. Hello, listeners. Welcome back to Culips. This is Chatterbox, our series for intermediate and advanced English learners that features natural, unedited conversations between native speakers about interesting topics. Today, I'm joined by my co-host Anna. Hey there, Anna. Hi, Andrew, and hello, listeners. Everyone, today we've got a really fun topic lined up for you all, and Andrew and I are going to talk about something very personal and maybe something that you've experienced as well, which is the highs and lows of living abroad. It's not all fun and games when you live in another country. So, if you're new to Chatterbox, you might not know this, but Andrew and I both live abroad at the moment from our home countries, and we've got lots of interesting stories about this. And today we're going to share a few of them with you. Exactly, and it's a really interesting fact here at Culips, Anna, that our whole team live abroad. I don't know how this happened; it wasn't planned for. It just sort of weirdly happened that everybody that's involved with Culips lives in a different country than their home country. So, yeah, we have a lot of experience with this at Culips, and I think a lot of our listeners have some experiences with this as well. A lot of our listeners are immigrants or study abroad students, so I think this is one that many people can relate to. And if you can't directly relate to it either, well, that's fine. I think there will at least be some interesting or funny stories for you guys to check out in this episode. So I'm looking forward to our chat, Anna. But before we get started with it, let's remind everyone about the study guide for this episode. So, guys, in the study guide, you'll find detailed vocabulary definitions and examples. There's a quiz. And there are also prompts that you can use for speaking or writing practice. We recommend following along with the guide while you listen to this episode. And to get the study guide, you just need to become a Culips member, and you can find out all of the details and sign up on our website, which is culips.com. C-U-L-I-P-S.com. Becoming a member helps support the work we do here at Culips, but it also gives you access to all of our learning materials and the tools that we make to help you improve your English and get fluent faster. Now, at the start of each episode, we always love to give a shout out to one of our listeners who has left us a review or a message. And recently, we received a great review on Apple Podcasts from one of our listeners from Japan named Tatsuja, and I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. <laughs> But this is what Tatsuja had to say. He wrote. I've been enjoying every episode on the podcast repeatedly for a couple of years, and I'm looking forward to a new episode every week. Thank you guys for delivering episodes that cover pretty interesting, fun, and versatile topics. I especially enjoyed Simplified Speech number one forty-seven very much because I've been collecting various. Genres of vinyl records for over thirty years, and Neil Young is one of my favorite artists too. I'm glad to hear that Andrew started listening to music on vinyl again. I wish to talk about music and vinyl with Andrew someday. Keep on digging, Andrew. So Tatsuja, thank you so much for that review. And Tatsuja, if you're not 
familiar with this cover band yet, you have to go onto YouTube and search for the Japanese cover band of Neil Young. It's one of the most remarkable cover bands of him that I've ever seen. I'm not sure what the band is called, but if you just type in Japanese Neil Young cover, it will come up. And I think you are one of the many Neil Young fans in Japan. Surprisingly, he's big in Japan, Anna. <laughs> <laughs> no surprises there, then.、Um, well, thank you so much for your review. And thanks to everybody out there、um, who has been leaving us reviews and subscribing to us on your favorite podcast app, or even telling your friends to check us out. This helps so many other English learners around the world connect and learn with us. So please keep it up. Absolutely. So, with all of this being said, it is time to get started. And our main topic for this episode is really just chatting about our experiences as expats or foreigners living in a country that is different from our home country. So, of course, Anna, you're from the UK, but are living in Spain now. And I'm from Canada, but I'm living in South Korea. Anna, I'm curious about what. It's like to get started living in Spain. Could you tell us a little bit about like your first experience, maybe your first days living in Spain, what that was like? Yeah, so I'm going to split it up actually a little bit because I'm going to say that I had a bit of time before I had to do any of the kind of administrative things because I wanted to give myself a little bit of break in time to see if I liked it, to see if I wanted to stay. So. I kind of chilled out for about three months, getting to know Spain and and things like this. But one of the things that you don't really realize until you live in another country is what it's like to be a foreigner. Because you can go on holiday and you can go to different places, and of course you feel like a tourist. But it's very different when you actually start then the process to become a foreigner, living in another country. And I'd never really known what that felt like. So when I had to get my Card or whatever it is, we they have here like a, a number that you have to get, and it's the key to everything. You have to get this number if you want a bank account. You have to get this number if you want to get a job. So I mean, it's like the the thing that you need if you want to live there. Also, it's important to mention that I moved to Spain before Brexit. I was going to ask you about that. So that means that before Brexit, UK was part of the European Union, and then I'm guessing you could live and work in Spain without a visa. Or what was the process like pre Brexit? Literally, you could decide one day I want to live in the UK, and then the next day you could say I want to live in Spain. It's literally it was that simple. I mean, you could just move there. Obviously, you need this number, the key to everything.、Um, it's called a, a NIA number, so you needed that. But apart from that, you could just literally turn up and start working and get a job if you wanted to. I mean, that was amazing, and I know it's not the same anymore. But yeah, we had to get this one NIA number, and my goodness. It was the most frustrating experience I've ever had in my life, and that was the first time that I realized what it's like, or I had a little flavor of what it's like to be a foreigner in a different country. Because it's not all good. Like sometimes I don't know if you felt like this, Andrew, but they make you feel like a bit of an idiot. I'm not joking. To get this card, okay, and I know the process has changed now, so I'm not going to criticize it too much because I know it's different now. At this time, what you had to do to get this card, there was only one specific office that you had to go to in the middle of Madrid to get this card. Okay, there was one office, so you have to go there. Okay, and the office opens at nine o'clock, right? And you have to queue up outside, and they let in 
depending on the day, they'll let in 20 people, 30 people, 40 people. So it depends on the mood they're in mm -hmm. on that day. And if you want to get one of these numbers, you had to queue up from like four in the morning. Okay. Wow. So that you would be one of the first in the queue. Okay. And so the worst thing was, I didn't plan this very well, but the worst thing was that I was trying to do this in December. So not only did I have to queue up from five in the morning, but it was absolutely freezing. And I was there with all these other people who wanted this number as well. So you had to get there at like five in the morning, wait outside for like four hours. And then the worst thing was that I'd done this like twice. The first time I completely messed it up and I wasn't early enough. The second time, I got to the front and then they said, no more. And I was like, oh my God, you're joking. So I've been waiting for like four hours. And then they just turned around and said, oh no, 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 sorry, we're not taking any more people. I was like 31 and they'd let in 30 people. I mean, it was ah. just the most frustrating experience. And I thought, I don't know why, but I just thought, well, why don't they have like an online process or why can't I just go somewhere and get an appointment? But that wasn't how it was. And you know, it wasn't a nice experience and it makes you feel like you're a burden. Like mm. they're kind of like, oh, more people that want to live here. Like, you know, oh, another Nia. Um, so I don't know. I, I haven't had a great experience with that type of bureaucracy because I guess for them, you're kind of like, I don't know, maybe for some of them, they think, oh, well, I can't be bothered. These people, they're not important. Or I don't know. That's the vibe that I got anyway. Did you get any of those vibes when you went to Korea, when you started there? Did you get those kind of like, you're not welcome here. You can't sit with us vibes. Yeah, not so much that, but the experience that I've had visiting the immigration office when I've needed to get my alien registration number, it's called here in Korea, it's alien registration. Oh, alien. Alien. Yeah. Meaning like foreigner. I'm an alien. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, right. Which is also interesting because in Korean, the Korean language, the word for foreigner is wegukin, and the word for alien, like an outer space person living outside of Earth, is wegain. So they're very similar in the Korean uh, language. And also, I guess in English, we could say that a foreigner is an alien and also a creature from space is an alien. Anyways, that's the name. And I think I heard a rumor that they're going to be changing that because it made some people feel uncomfortable to be referred to as an alien. <laughs> right. Yeah, obviously. That aside, my experience getting my alien registration number and doing everything at immigration has always been stressful, but nothing that I felt was personally aggressive or negative. Mm -hmm. It is a bureaucracy. So there's a lot of red tape and the workers are very stressed and they're dealing with a high volume of people. When you go to a retail store, it's always like the customer is always right. And you have the staff at the store kind of bending over backwards to make sure customers are happy. And, you know, if you have poor customer service, your business might go out of business and fail. But at a government office, like the immigration office, they're not worried about customer service, right? You can complain as much as you'd like and it doesn't matter. They're still going to be in existence. They're still going to have jobs the next day. So yeah, they're always like bureaucratic, not really friendly or mean. It's just, I would give them my papers. They would stamp the papers, maybe ask me some questions. I do 
kind of sympathize with them because every time I'm at the immigration office, it's always a zoo. Like you mentioned, Anna, it's in Spain, it seems like you have to wait in line. Thankfully, in Korea, it's a little bit more high tech. You have to make uh, an appointment online and you can do it all on the website. But that being said, the last time I visited immigration, there was uh, a huge scene in the office. Like, even though I made an appointment in advance, there was still tons of people there. And uh, I guess there's a loophole with the appointment system because if your visa is about to expire and there's one day left on your visa, you can go without an appointment because you have to renew your visa so you can get an right. appointment on that day. So there was like a ton of people that had shown up that were on their visa on the last day. They were trying to get their visas renewed before they expired. I think they were migrant workers and there was a big language issue. So there were some people trying to translate and yeah, it was in the middle of the summer. It was very hot. It was chaotic. Everybody in there is stressed. The workers are stressed. People who are trying to get their visas are stressed. The people who are on the very last day of their visa who are trying to get it renewed or face deportation are stressed. And then there's a big language barrier in many situations as well. So it's just like a really unpleasant place to work, probably. I can't imagine that it's fun to work there. Also, big consequences if you make a mistake, right? If you are not careful with people's background checks and maybe you let a criminal into the country or something, right? Could be some consequences for you. So everybody wants to do a good job. It's a high pressure situation. So I've never had a positive immigration visit. Like I've never walked in and walked out and been like, oh, that was awesome. I want to do it again tomorrow. <laughs> Yeah, it's not like you wake up in the morning and you're like, oh, do you know what I really want to do? I just really want to go renew my Nia. Like, <laughs> yeah. absolutely not. It's like the last thing that you want to do. And, and you're right. That's a really good point to make is that it is a stressful situation. People there, they want, you know, they want to make sure that they get their permission to live there. You know, the staff probably don't have a great experience because they're dealing with people that are a little bit stressed. So that's a really important thing to say as well. It's obviously not necessarily the easiest job in the world. I remember, you know, when we left the European Union, then I had to kind of go and do some more administrative things. And I had to change my driving license from an English license to a Spanish license. And luckily, I have to say that I have had people who have been able to come with me because honestly, without it, it would have been absolutely impossible to navigate. Okay, not impossible. That's a lie. But much more difficult. It would have been very painful because at the beginning, my Spanish was next to zero. Mm. So imagine trying to communicate with a person who's using language that is just like beyond I need this. I want this. Can you do that? I mean, that was like basically my vocabulary at the beginning. Mm -hmm. So luckily I had people to help me, which I think was a, an absolute godsend. But look, I mean, it's not all bad. One thing that I do think, considering it's highs and lows, let's talk about some of the highs as well. So one of the lows is definitely that it's stressful. And imagine if you were a person that's been displaced or you're a refugee, for example, and you've just moved from a country that has a completely different culture, language, whatever, and you just arrive in this country and then you have to do all these processes as well. It just kind of made me think like, wow, that would be really, really stressful and just like really hard to process. Um, so I feel like in my case was very, a very light case of kind of, you know, dealing with this. But I thought, thought wow, it must be so hard for people that just kind of have to come here and then they're like 
what do I do? Especially if you think about us, because we planned to go to these countries. Uh, I spent, you know, almost a year preparing to move abroad, reading books about Korea, going to Korean restaurants, talking with my Korean friends about what I can expect, learning some of the language. Refugees don't have those luxuries. Often, you know, a conflict breaks out and we got to get out of here as soon as possible and they'll go wherever they're welcome, right? Wherever they can go. And so you have no time to prepare. And if that means that you arrive in a country with a different language, different culture that you weren't expecting, and then you have to do all these things that we mentioned, Anna, you have to go to these offices where there's, you know, high stress and lots Mm. of pressure. And yeah, it's not something that I would ever want to go through. And hopefully I don't have to, but I definitely empathize with the people who do have to do that. Absolutely. I'm going to talk about some of the the things that I do like about um, one of the highs, I would say. And I think maybe I've mentioned this before, but it's something that I think is important to say is that when you live in a different country, all of the basic things like going to the office or going to, you know, do whatever, going to the supermarket, everything is automatically more interesting because it's (laughs) in a different language you know, it's a little bit more exciting. So even just sort of things like going to buy bread or I don't know, going to the supermarket. For me, all of those little interactions are like more interesting because, you know, it's not in my own language. You know, I've kind of got to navigate them a little bit. I've got to figure out what I'm going to say. Okay, yes, maybe it's a little bit stressful, but all of those things are more interesting. And I think about when I look at my life in in Spain, I feel like my life is very normal and maybe I actually do less things than I used to do in the UK. But for me, my life is not less interesting because I think just being in another place makes things more, yes, stimulating or just kind of, I don't know. I I, I think I actually have a more boring life though in Spain, (laughs) to be honest. And maybe that's because I already feel like I'm very interested by my surroundings, by what's going on because that's still different for me. So for me, that's definitely one of the highs is that you can have like a, just a really stimulating experience being around things that aren't what you're used to. But on the other hand, I would say that sometimes it can feel quite isolating. Sometimes you feel like, you know, not connecting with people maybe is one of my lows, you know, not having that full connection with people because you don't have the same background, you don't have the same culture. So I would say that's one of my lower points. But yeah, I would say that's one of the highs for me is that it's just more interesting. Yeah, literally everything about living in a different country is interesting to me. And I completely understand what you're trying to say. And I also agree, like just going to the supermarket, you know, if I did that in Canada, that's something I can do just on autopilot, right? I don't have to think too much about it. But when I do it in Korea, even though I've been here for years now, it's still always interesting. There's always something that I'm like, hmm, what's this? Like, I'll see some different vegetable that I've never seen before or some different fruit that I've never seen before at the market. Happened to me just the other day, actually. My wife wanted to buy this vegetable and I, I was like, I don't know what that is. Let's try it out. You know, it's an adventure. Let's <laughs> Let's give it a shot. So things like that always keep you on your toes, keep you interested, even though we may be less busy in terms of activities and a schedule that's not as jam-packed as we could back home. 
maybe it's also because I'm a bit older as well. I have to say that obviously I've been living in Spain for nearly five years now. So I'm a little bit older than I was before. So obviously my priorities change a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, But I have had some other interesting experiences like, well, interesting bad ones as well, but funny ones really when you think about it. I mean, I've cried after being frustrated after going to do different things in terms of bureaucracy. And, you know, I remember with trying to sort out something to do with my my tax situation you know I had a horrible experience and I left there crying I mean it was really embarrassing (laughs) actually but you know I was absolutely bawling because I was so frustrated about what happened and you know it's not all fun and games I think a lot of people think living in Spain is like going to the beach and you know living on the beach um and you know kind of drinking sangria Mm -hmm. um but actually it's not quite like that for everybody (laughs) um so I think there's kind of this idealistic picture of what maybe living in Spain or other countries would be like. I'm trying to think of what I would think about living in in Korea. I kind of imagine, this is what I imagine, okay? I, I don't know. Okay, I'll let you know if it's accurate or not. I imagine it being very busy and like true, full true. of people, like a very like intense, like kind of like fast paced. Um, and I imagine like lots of like small cafes and bars. Mm-hmm. And people kind of in, in, in the cafes and bars and yeah, I don't know. That's kind of how I, I envisage it. Like very busy, very fast paced, but kind of quiet, but people that are like very, you know, small social circles, uh, that type of thing. And lots of cool things, gadgets, technology, cat cafes. Is that a thing? Is that because I don't know if it's a Japanese thing because I I'm, I don't want to confuse J- Japan and Korea because that's not correct. But I, I know cat, cat cafes is just one of those things that always jumps into my mind. Yeah, there definitely are cat cafes, dog cafes. I think there are even some specialty cafes for raccoons and different animals. Oh, cool. Even <laughs> there are places, you know, like so many Koreans. And I think they do have these in Japan as well, as far as I know. There are a lot of different specialty niche cafes. So now I think maybe it's changing a little bit. Pet ownership in Korea is becoming more accepted and more popular. And yeah, it's actually very popular these days to to own a pet dog or cat. But before it wasn't as popular, but animal lovers would still like to spend some time with a dog or cat. So you could go to a cafe and drink coffee and there would be some cats living in the cafe that you could you know, spend some time with. So definitely that kind of place exists for sure. Oh, okay. Just to kind of like sum up kind of what I've said, I think there are a lot of highs and lows living abroad. For me, I think the highs outweigh the lows. And I would really encourage maybe if you're listening and you're thinking about, you know, maybe do I take the jump? Do I do it? Do I live abroad or try and live abroad? I think I would always encourage people to give it a go. You never know what's going to happen. And I remember that I always thought when I was kind of at my point where deciding whether to move to another country or not, I was like, look, if I go and I don't like it, I can always come back. Like there's always another option. I can always come back to my home country um, and and try and, you know, you know, start again or whatever. But if I don't go, I'll never know what it could have been like. And for me, that was too much of a kind of push to make me do it. So I think if you're kind of on the fence and you're thinking, do I do it or not? I would always encourage you know you to think, why not? Um, you might regret it if you didn't try it. It's not for everyone. So you might go and absolutely hate living in another country and you might hate having to do all these administrative things that we've been talking about. And it might be really stressful and horrible, but I would always encourage people to try it and, and see what happens. Because for me, it's been a really rewarding experience overall. 
Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think it's something that everybody should try if they have the opportunity. There have been many people that I've known here in Korea as working as an English teacher that have, you know, come over and taught for a year and then they went home right away. They're like, this isn't for me. I, I don't really like this. That happens a lot. But then there are many friends and colleagues that I have that have been living abroad here in Korea for 20 years, 25 years, 30 years, you know, it, people do come here and stay for a long time as well. So everybody is different. But for me, I like that I can wake up in the morning and I don't know exactly how the day is going to end. Now, my life has stabilized a lot as I've gotten older, Anna. Uh, so I, I kind of agree with you there. But what I mean by that is like, it's still foreign enough for me that it's like a little bit chaotic and mm. I'm not exactly sure what's going to happen in every situation still. You know, the more time I do spend here, the better I get at Korean. A little bit of this romance has kind of vanished, which is natural and to be expected, but also a little bit sad because I really liked like my early days here in the country yeah. when I didn't understand what anybody was saying and I didn't know you know, I get on a bus. I'm like, I'm not exactly sure where this bus is going. Let's find <laughs> out. You know, that kind of adventure was really awesome. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, yeah. these days, I, you know, I know how to read the bus map that's posted to the side of the wall so I can, I can see where it's going and I know where all the places are. I know all the place names. So, you know, that kind of experience disappears the longer you spend in uh, a different country. But yeah, there's still a little bit of that spark remaining. And that's what makes living abroad so fun. Absolutely. And you still got to work. Like I always say to people, like, I think, you know, even if um, I live in another country, I'm still working, but it just feels nicer for me working somewhere that's not where I'm from. So for me, it's definitely worth it. But again, I would also just like as a final comment, um, I just like to say that even if you move abroad and it's not for you, that doesn't make you any less of a a person like I, I think that some people feel like oh people who live abroad are like you know um I know because I have a friend for example and she she's like oh, I would never live abroad Anna it's just it's just not for me like I'm like that's fine it's just not for everybody it doesn't matter if you like it or not if you don't like it and you want to stay in your own country perfect like I think there's a kind of this thing that people feel like they have to do it or it's a sign of something but I mean it's just it depends on who you are and, and, and your personality. But if you're on the fence and you're thinking about doing it, I would say do it. Why not? Yeah. YOLO, right? You only live once. Give it a shot. And you can always go back home. Anna, I think we will wrap it up here. So I want to say thanks to everybody for listening. And guys, congratulations on getting some English listening practice in. That's what we're here for, to help you with your English listening. And you've done a great job today. So you've heard what Anna and I have had to say about our experiences living abroad as foreigners. And now we'd love to hear what you have to say. Perhaps you've had a similar experience yourself, or perhaps you have a question that you'd like to ask us about our experience. Whatever it is, don't be shy. We love hearing from you. Absolutely. Please let us know what you have to say. Um, leave us a comment or you can post on the discussion forum on our website. And if you really like Coolips, please support us. And there are many ways that you can do that. You could tell your friends who are learning English to check us out 
or you could follow us on Instagram. You just have to search for Coolips English in Instagram and you'll be able to, to find us. You could also subscribe to Coolips on your favorite podcast app and leave us a positive review, of course. <laughs> and finally, you could become a Coolips member. And for all the information about these awesome benefits you get when you're a member, just check out coolips.com. And we'll be back for another episode very soon. And we'll talk to you all again then. Bye. Goodbye, everybody.